0: Good morning everybody welcome to the program
1: on scn 1170 am sydney wherever you tuned in right across our network on the scn app you know the deal 0457 736 736 is the text and our best caller of the day on 1300 01 1170 will pick up a signet boost power bank to keep your phone tablet and earbuds powered 24 7 so the best caller of the day hook straight in be first on the list get in the queue 1300 01 1170 1170. The weather for the Sydney listening area today showers tops of 25 in the city and 26 in the west. You can have your say on a range of issues that'll be in front of us across the course of the next three hours and of course we're happy to take it any which way you want to. But what about this for a start list? Ticket prices in the NRL. This is front and centre today but I want to know what makes a match a tier one? And where did that come from? Can anybody explain this to me about Tier 1s? We'll dig into that in just a sec. So, too, Teddy re-signing at the Roosters and the flow-on effect in a couple of years to come. We sit here talking about players signing years and years ahead, but that's about going to other clubs. This is about locking in. And now we're talking about what might happen after. Teddy has signed on until 2025. Should the Newcastle Knights be compensated if they stand down Kaelin Ponga. It's a sensitive issue, this one. It's a topical issue, obviously, and we'll dig a bit deeper into that. And as we know, in cricket, Australia and India will meet again in the World Test Championship final. So June 7's the date. And I don't think the cricketing world can wait that long because after what we saw across the course of the four test series, unfortunately, it petered out to a draw yesterday. But, I mean, these two teams really know how to push each other, but... Test cricket at the moment is firing. Uh, Take a look at what happened yesterday between Sri Lanka and New Zealand. Now, this one will be played on neutral ground at the Oval. And if it's a draw or a tie in the World Championship final, both teams are declared the world champions, which is unfortunately the way that sometimes cricket can work, as we know. But really, when we get to a decider, a distinctive decider on neutral ground. If it's a draw or a tie, both Australia and India will have one hand on the trophy. So should the ICC look at shortening the match days to force a result? They can go an extra day, which is what happened in the last World Test Championship final. It went six days. But surely the longer it goes on, we've seen, depending on the pitch and depending on the ability of either side to push a result, it could peter out into a draw or a tie. And I think what we've been seeing in the world of cricket lately is we don't want that. Nobody ever wants it, but unfortunately the game can head that way. So maybe we go the other way. Would you be happy if the World Test Championship final, they said four days, folks, sort it out. Obviously, if it rains, we can have a day up our sleeves. But let's make it four days. You've proven... That you can wrap up a test in three and a half days you've also proven that you can take it down to the last ball so it's an interesting one and i'd like your thoughts on that this morning Be the best caller will power you up with the signet boost power bank one one 1170 is the open line number righty let's hook in so south sydney fans they're not happy they say the roosters are ticket price gouging so They've been charged nearly double the amount of, for a ticket in the Roo, uh, Rabideau Supporters Bay for Friday night's game at Allianz Stadium. So the details are this. South fans being charged $90 for an adult ticket compared to a usual price there of $50. So an 80% price hike. When I heard this this morning and read this this morning and went through the details of this, this is the part that jumped out at me. Rooster CEO Joe Kelly said Friday night's game is, quote, one of our tier one games. I said, hang on a second. Okay, one of our tier one games. Aren't we in a regular season? So what determines a a tier one game? Joe Kelly said tiering of matches based on opposition and demand is a standard practice across many clubs and codes. And then pointed out that the pricing for this round, is actually less than round 25 against South's last year. We're almost 42,000 turned up for the opening of Allianz Stadium. Again, a regular season round that was highly, uh, higher priced than this one. So let's try and get our heads around this, and let's try and take out... I'm happy to dive in, but if we take out the fact that Rabbitohs fans here say, hang on a second, we're paying more for where we should be and where we want to be, they've offered him a 10% discount. Let's have a look at this issue of tiers for regular season matches. Should a club be able to determine what tier a regular season match is, and how on earth do they do that? Should all regular season matches be categorized equally? Should they not just be sitting there on equal footing? Now, the Anzac Day game is 100 bucks a ticket. That goes into the standard practice that they're talking about, about demand, supply and demand. We get that. I get that side of it. But based on opposition and demand and the club saying, we think that this is a tier one match, can somebody help me by explaining to me what a tier one match is throughout a regular season? It's a fair argument to say, yes, rabbitos, Roosters rivalry, no doubt about it. It's as big as you're going to get. There's a fair argument to say that Manly-Para on Thursday night, whilst if they're in different ends of the uh, ladder at the moment, surely that's got to go down as a higher tiered match under this kind of system. I I can't get my head around it because I thought the regular season matches were all on equal footing. You don't get four points if you win this one. You get two. It's exactly the same as every other regular round. Now, if the demand's there, then certainly you can start to have a look. But who determines what is a Tier 1 match, a Tier 2 match, a Tier 3 match? I don't know. What if Souths and the Roosters were both owing to this going into this one? Like I say, Manly v. Parra, with all of their history, for instance, the best seats in the house as far as I could find this morning on Ticketek for Four Pines Park on Thursday currently at about seventy dollars you go to the grand final rematch in round four eels v panthers you're looking at a hundred and fifteen dollars for combank so I'm happy to dive into the argument about whether we're paying too much or too least uh, the, the least amount for tickets whether there should be discounts for supporters bays all of that kind of stuff but what do you think is the regular season on equal footing Or should clubs be able to determine what's a higher tier match and what's not? When we look at the game in its entirety, we say, you know what? State of origin. There's your higher tiered match. Finals. There's a higher tiered match. Grand final. It's the be all and end all. Tickets should be hard to get. They'll be more expensive. But throughout the regular season, I don't know how this one sits. It seems to me as though they're just cashing in on the fact that they know they're going to get a good crowd. 0457 736 736 is the text line. If you take party lines out of it and you look at it in that perspective through that lens, I don't think it makes sense. Let me know your thoughts. As I mentioned, the Roosters have now re-signed or re-signing James Tedesco until the end of 2025. This news broke last night. An extra 12 months. Uh, He was set to become off contract at the end of 2024, but will now be there until the end of 25. He'll be 32 years of age by the time that deal expires. If Teddy goes around again in 2026, he'll turn 33 just before the season starts in January. So it's a good deal, obviously. And the Roosters have reacted well here because even though this does start to play out in the media, surely it starts to build And the Roosters need to put out the fire before it rages. Obviously, the questions around Joseph Swali'i and Joey Manu now pop up. And I guess there's a little bit of crystal balling here. Because what happens and, and who do you prioritize when you get to the end of 2024? So Tedesco's there till the end of 2025, sorted, no problems. No one's got a problem with that whatsoever. And what he wants to do after that, well, we don't know. But both Joseph Swalehi and Joey Manu come off contract at the end of 2024. So say Swalehi signs with rugby for 2025. Say he leaves the Roosters at the end of 24, he goes to rugby. Remember, the British and Irish Lions tour in 25, followed by the Rugby World Cup in 2027. They're going to throw everything at him. Absolutely everything. And they'd be mad not to. So say he goes. And say Joey Manu does another deal elsewhere for 2025 and beyond, and he goes. And then Teddy's left standing for 2025. So if you're the Roosters, who do you prioritize and how do you play this one? Do you give Joseph Swali'i some one-year rolling contracts here to keep him in the mix? Do you promise him a fullback position earlier on? Do you say to Joey Manu, hang on a second, there's some big money coming He'll be 28 by the time his current deal expires, but we, we're we going to need you. What if? It's the great what if. If you want to play some money ball on that one, let me know. 0457 736, 736 Should the Newcastle Knights consider standing down Kalen Ponga? Well, the Sydney Morning Herald's chief sports writer and, of course, a feature on this program on a Wednesday morning, Andrew Webster, has written, the Knights should err on the side of caution and look t- uh, to stand down their skipper, for an indefinite indefinite period of time. So he suffered another concussion on Sunday afternoon. We covered this at length yesterday. And Webby, in his article, has said that if the Knights do stand down Ponga, the NRL is unlikely to award them salary cap dispensation for the season. He is, of course, re- reportedly earning um, north of $1.3, up to $1.4 million this season. So if the Knights err on the side of caution... Around a topic and an incident as sensitive and as unknown as concussion, what does the NRL then uh, need to do if they put their hand out and say, "Well, we have to because you're telling us this is so serious, we can't afford to mess with this"? Do we get dispensation? Matty Johns on the Roundup yesterday had this to some had this to say when it comes to concussion. And basically Matty's point is we should only listen to the experts.
2: It's a really sensitive one to talk about and have an opinion on. At the end of the day, Calin will go away and he'll be assessed and they'll they'll go from there. As far as people, I, I just think it's out of line, people having an opinion. You know, I've had people say, Do you think it's all over? And I said, Well that's got nothing to do with me. Oh, how many head knots can he take till he's got to give it up? Oh well look, at the end of the day he'll get he'll get assessed medically and things and, and the club and he'll go from there.
1: And I agreed 100% with Matty on that yesterday. In this case, you have to listen to the experts and the the game has to listen to the experts. But should there be incentives for clubs and players to err on the side of caution? Because caution appears to be, at the moment, one of the defining plays in all of this concussion debate. We don't really know where it all leads and what uh, the major ramifications are. I mean, we've got an idea but we have to be cautious about it. The game wants to be cautious about it. The game's cautious about it every single weekend. So if a club says we're erring on the side of caution, what does the game do in response? And can clubs be trusted when it comes to salary cap relief? Perhaps that's a different argument. If you want to buy into that, please do so. The Knights, well, they've got a player crisis for this weekend. They've got the Dolphins on Friday at McDonald Jones Stadium. And I'm finding it very hard Um, to tip against the Dolphins going three from three to start the season because the Knights have only 28 spots in their roster filled for this year and up to 10 will be unavailable. Adam Clune could have been an option to cover for Ponga in the halves, but he failed a head injury assessment in the New South Wales Cup at the weekend and is unavailable. Unavailable is the big word. Adam O'Brien, excuse the pun, has some pretty big headaches to sort out Today for Teamless Tuesday, so Josh Schuster is set to return from a calf injury for Manly and line up in the halves alongside Daly Cherry Evans for that match up against the Eels on Thursday night and we'll follow the course of that throughout the day. And of course, Joel and Fletch this afternoon will have all your team news ahead of round three. So make sure you stay tuned to SEN. Cricket, Australia v India, it ends in a drawn match. Uh, Travis Head out yesterday for 90, minus Labashane 63 not out and Steve Smith, 10 not out. They couldn't get a result, so they wrapped it up. Out of all of it, Nathan Lyon ends up becoming the most successful overseas bowler in India in history during this series. So he's now got 55 wickets over there from 11 test, 11 test matches. Derek Underwood, the next best from England, with 54 from 16 tests. And the great Richie Benno um, took 52 wickets over there from eight tests. So it now means the World Test Championship is Australia v India locked in at the Oval starting on June 7th. Steve Smith, a huge fan of this World Test Championship finale, says it adds another dimension to the game.
3: I think the World Test Championship is such a great thing. Um, You know, every game has relevance over a couple of years. And, um, you know, it came down
4: to today, uh, the the New Zealand Sri Lanka game, when New Zealand just got over the line, we we saw the, the Indian players Come out on the field after lunch, I think it was, and um, and just shake hands in you know congratulating each other on, on making the finals. So you know it's going to be a, a great game, and you're an unbelievable opposition no matter where they play. Um, you know they've obviously beaten us the last couple of times coming to Australia. So you know the Oval um, is probably as close to Australian conditions as you get in in terms of pace and bounce for English conditions. So you know I think it should be a really good
5: contest and. We're all looking forward to it.
1: So one of the big questions here is what type of pitch do we get? I mean, we know what type of pitches that we can offer up here in Australia, and our curators are always going to uh, lean that way, if I can put it in that perspective. And we saw what happened over there in India. They'll lean that way. So what type of pitch do we get at the Oval with the curator over there? And the playing conditions for the World Test Championship final, well, it's pretty simple. If there's a draw or a tie, both India and Australia will be crowned joint winners, which is not what we want. They'll have a reserve day to make up for any lost time throughout the regular days of the final. But it got me thinking this morning with everything that's been going on in the world of cricket. What about if we just put a a marker down a bit earlier? Would you like to see this? Tell me what type of pitch you'd want to see in the first place. A slow turner or a green seamer. Do you want to see an early match wrapped up or do you want to see one that could peter out to a draw and they both get a trophy or do they look at trying to force some sort of result here and put a marker down early and say you got four days we're going back the other way where we stretch it out and stretch it out but what about trying to force a result because history modern as in very recent history is showing us that cricket teams around the world can push the envelope now in test cricket We saw it yesterday when New Zealand won by two wickets on the final ball. I'll play you the crazy audio of that a little bit later on. Uh, Brandy did a great summary of how that wrapped up yesterday. It was manic is the word to describe it. So we'll play you that in the NBL Sydney Kings v New Zealand Breakers. Game five of the championship series tomorrow night at Kudos Bank Arena. Jimmy Smith's going to have the call right here on SEN. Right here on SEN. Uh, he'll be joined by Tommy Garlip and Oscar Foreman from six o'clock Eastern Daylight Saving Time for the call. So we'll have more on that. Scotty Bailey will join me soon to talk rugby league. Daniel Dixon is the chairman of the North Sydney Bears. Has anything changed in the last week since the reports on Sunday about the expansion plans? of the nrl bryce mcgain to cover all our cricket and as we always do on this morning simon hill the host of the global game will talk football with us 0457 736 736 there you go ticket prices teddy re-signing should the knights be compensated if they stand down kaylon ponga and what type of conditions do you think we could put on australia and india to force a result in this World Test Championship final, be the first caller, the best caller, and you'll get a Signet Boost power bank. One 1170 Welcome back to the program. Oh four five seven seven three six seven three six. Scott Bailey will join me after the news with Vanessa, and we'll uh, go through all of those rugby league issues that are on our table this morning. Team list, Tuesday. Now some big boxing news has been broken by Peter Bedell this morning. And I've just done some uh, work in the ad break there to find out more about it. George Cambosis has formally agreed to terms for a world title fight against Maxie Hughes for the IBO world title. It'll be likely in Sydney and it will be around about June, they're saying. Uh, according to George Cambosis, Ferocious is not finished. He said, I will be back. So he's 29 years of age. It'll be his first fight since losing to Devon Haney for the second time last october he hasn't won a fight in two years um, since beating lopez back in november 2021 maxi hughes 33 years of age so he's four years is senior he's won his last seven fights uh since losing to liam welsh back at liam walsh back in 2019 so george ferocious Cambosis is going to step back in the ring details to be confirmed uh, but it will be the IBO world title fight against Maxie Hughes. Thanks to Peter Bedell for that one. Uh, your thoughts coming through thick and fast on whether or not um, they could try and manufacture something out of the world test championship final. Uh, Jason says, not sure having less days or how having less days to get a result gives you more chance to get a result. What are you smoking, Maddie? Well, uh, this is the thing. This is what I'm thinking of. You know, perhaps if you put a ring around it a little bit tighter it forces them to make some pretty uh, more stringent calls along the way. Now, a lot will be determined by the pitch, no doubt about it. I get your point, Jason, but what I'm trying to think of is here, do we really want a World Test Championship final that ends because of a draw with both Australia and India being World Championships, World Championship winners, joint winners? I think if we can avoid that anyway, we should do it. But, Jason, let me know. Uh, what you think? I mean, do you want to make it longer? <laughs> do you want if we if you don't want less days? Do you want seven days? Do we go back to the old early days of Test cricket? Um, let me know. I, I'm just trying to come up with a way to avoid a draw or a tie, because at the moment Test cricket is providing some amazing finales. It's still providing some dud draws like yesterday's, but on the same day there was an absolute thriller: uh, New Zealand and Sri Lanka. Let's go to the news. Scotty Bailey will join me soon. Thanks, Vanessa. Yes, and Jimmy Smith will be heading up the call of that. So, Game 5, the decider at Qudos Bank Arena. Tickets at Ticketek. And Jimmy with the call from 6 o'clock Eastern. Daylight saving time right here on SEN. On the line from AAP Sports, Scott Bailey joins us. Regular on the pro- uh, program, there's a fair bit to cover in the world of rugby league. Morning, Scotty. Let's start with Newcastle Knights. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how they play this at the judiciary with Jacob Saifidi. Mm-hmm. A, because he is who he is and is important, but B, they've got some real problems in terms of getting cattle on the on the park.
4: Yeah, it's a really interesting case, this one, for a lot of reasons, not the least of which the fact that they are completely decimated. I mean, we can all be very confident, well, we all know that Jacob won't play this week. It's more a matter of whether they try and uh, reduce his band from five weeks down uh, to, say, three or four and risk it going out to six. Uh, they've got to dis- uh, until midday to decide. I know last night or late yesterday afternoon they were, they were weighing it up and it's an interesting one, right, because from what I can make out, and I'm very confident on this, it's the highest grade in the NRL have handed out for a high tackle uh, since Zane Tedovano in the final round of 2017. So we're talking five and a half years ago. Um, so it, it's quite a call from the NRL to say this is the worst high tackle we've seen in five and a half years. But the challenge with that is, is if they do try and downgrade it, They actually don't have a lot of tackles to compare it to once they get into that room to say, well, it's not as bad as this one because there aren't many tackles they can actually say have been given that similar grading. Even Zane Tedavano in 2017 was successful and he's getting dramatically downgraded. In fact, he was able to play in the final shortly after because he got down to a careless. So, uh, yeah, it'll be a very interesting decision for the Knights. And if they do try to, it'll be an interesting night at the judiciary, I dare say.
1: Yeah, perhaps, um, perhaps that's part of their defence. Part of their defence is that yeah. this is a, a complete anomaly in the game. So what's that six years since that kind of mm. charge has been handed down? So so they, they cop five matches if they accept it, six if they lose the challenge, obviously. And like you're saying, they've now got until midday, or they have until midday to put that in. Have they, have, have they spoken to you about what their what their kind of best-case scenario would be, what what they reckon they could get it down to the, the, the least amount?
4: They haven't, no. They haven't really spoken on that yet because they haven't made a decision on whether it's actually worth trying to get it down. I know last night they would have been pouring um, through angles. And they also, they, what usually happens in this situation is the club will speak to, I mean, nine times out of ten, Nick Gabar, because he is the go-to for judiciary. Uh, but, you know, whoever they're, yeah. I think, I believe Nick is their lawyer anyway, but, they, they go to their, their nominated lawyer that they usually go to. That, that lawyer will look through the replays, look at the angles. They'll look at similar offences or offences that might sit somewhere in a similar range and then make a call on whether it's worth uh, taking to, to the judiciary. Because, I mean, there's two factors to it, right? Firstly, it's not free. You do pay for a lawyer. So the club has to decide whether it's worthwhile in that sense. And B, um, whether it's worth the risk of, of the extra week, because like I don't ima- like realistically, they're not going to be able to get this down to a careless. This is a reckless tackle. It's just a matter of how reckless it was, and probably a matter of whether it was more reckless than say Latrell Mitchell on Joey Manu, or Tane Milne on Spencer Lenu last year, because and, and Way Graham last week. They're the other three reckless we've had in the last couple of years. So whether it's you know drastically more reckless than those ones, because at this stage it has been graded as worse than those
1: geez, you wouldn't want to be at the Newcastle Knights at the moment in the head office. I reckon they would have got to work before the sun came up because they've got that on their plate. Mm-hmm. They'll have to look at asking the NRL for dispensation around um, players because they've only got 28 on their books and up to 10 of those could be unavailable. And then they've got the Kalen mm-hmm. Ponga issue. So um, let's talk about Kalen in just a sec. But the dispensation part, what, what's the process there? And, 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 you know, where do they go in terms of looking to make sure that they've got a full complement of players?
4: Yeah, so the rule is that you can't access your development players until round 11 or players outside your top 30, but um, the NRL will grant exemptions in exceptional circumstances. And we've already seen that this year. The Bulldogs required an exemption um, to play anyway, one of their bench guys in, in round one. Um, Melbourne also had an exemption in round one So have some of their guys play and be part of their extended squad. So the NRL will consider... Not only, you know, if you've got, to say, a squad of 28 and you'll have 10 unavailable, which, as I understand, all the guys that we're speculating will be unavailable for Newcastle. Definitely will be. The concussed guys, obviously, Tyson Frizzell, Jack Jones, Kurt Mann are all out, as well as guys like Adam Elliott who had injuries before this weekend. So they're all gone. Uh, so it's not just a matter of, well, you had 28 and now you're down to 18. It might be a case of, well, you know, you've lost Caelan Ponga, you've lost... Um, Kurt Mann, uh, you, you know, you've lost Shaden Braley. Those are a number of guys who play at hooker or, or in the halves. Uh, so, therefore, you'll have dispensation to bring some of them outside your 28-30 into your 17 because, you know, you can pick one of them ahead of, say, a bench forward who wouldn't be of any value to you, if you understand what I'm saying, Matty. So,
1: mm, that's, yeah. the
4: out of all will grant exemptions in these cases and this is certainly one of those situations where they will have the opportunity. As for what their team looks like this weekend, well, I guess Tyson Gamble will play in the halves alongside Jackson Hastings would be my guess. Uh, you've got Lock Miller at fullback, Phoenix Crossland. Maybe Hooker. I'm trying to think who their hooker is because realistically, Kurt Mann would be another option. He's not available. So He's not, it's yeah. Hooker and probably number 14 that is the, the biggest question mark for them.
1: Yeah, wow. He's got some thinking to do today, Adam O'Brien and the and the staff up there. So, Caelan Ponga now... Um, as I've touched on earlier, Andrew Webster's written an article saying that you know, that they should err on the side of caution here and stand them mm. down. Matty Johns and myself had a good <coughs> um, chat about this yesterday, and, and we both agreed that, look, it's all very good for us to have opinions, but you've got to listen to the experts here. But when you put it in club perspective, if if the, NRL, if, if the Newcastle Knights went to the NRL, Scotty, and said, we have to err on the side of caution here and we have to stand Kalen Ponga down... Do you think there's a case then to have some sort of dispensation slash compensation under the salary cap for doing that? There's no space for it at the moment. But as we know, the NRL is
4: considering um, their concussion, well, their next step in concussion protocol this week. There will be a commission meeting this week to determine things such as a mandatory 11-day stand-down period after a concussion. So it, it's probably... You know whether it's something they were considering before this week or whether it's something they now begin considering. It's it's worth um, it, it, it's it's a fair argument that there should be. I mean, at the moment you only have exemptions in case of um, when players are away on representative duty if they become injured. But you know, there's an argument. Should should we have it for mental health? Should we have it for concussions? Or, or are they are those injuries slash conditions no separate or unavailabilities no separate to a player breaking a leg and being out for the season? Um, you know, and are we only as concerned about this one because it's Kalen Ponga as opposed to if it was, you know, a bench forward, let's say, who's done his ACL? So it's a good question, and actually, Andrew Abdel is due to speak in about an hour or so um, out here at Belmore. So it's probably a good question for Andrew in the next hour. I dare say, <laughs> I'll put to yeah. him now that you mentioned it. <laughs>
1: yeah, it is a good question because it's it's an interesting one. It's part of this area that the game is so. Um, so focused on, and rightfully so, but there are still mm. so many variables within that. Can I get your thoughts just then on the um, on the issue of the pricing for tickets, Roosters v mm. Souths? And, and I've tried to have a look at this by taking the party lines out of it. Is there any consideration, because this is the first time that I've heard it, around a Tier 1 match, who determines a Tier 1 match, and what's the difference between this week's regular season round matches and next week's regular uh, round matches, how, how can the game or clubs determine that one match is more important in, than the other throughout the regular season?
4: Yeah, it's a good question.
1: I mean, I think I look at it and
4: I say, there's two sides to it, right? There's supply and demand. And you're right, how do we determine what matches are more important than others? But I guess if you look at historical data, for years on end, we know that this match sells a lot better than, say, a Roosters V, Titans match or a Roosters v Cowboys match for a non-Sydney team, or even a Roosters v Manly match for you know for two Sydney clubs. So there's probably an argument that just like when uh, you know concerts are on, those that are, uh, are likely to bring in higher crowds. They expect to pay more for. So therefore, sure football matches, just like week one of finals, is more expensive or grand finals more expensive. So there's that argument. But what I would say I find probably more concerning is the price of the cheapest ticket. Like we all obviously would all prefer to sit in good seats on the 50-meter line or whatever. But, you know, I, I was looking at and the, and the cheapest price for um, this match, even behind the post in Category 4, is $45 for an adult, which, you know, and, or a family's, a, I think it was 110 it's above 100 So if you're looking to take your kids for a, for a night at the footy, that's probably a bit too much, and that, to me, is probably the bigger thing. So maybe it's a case of, okay, we'll bump up the prices for the, for the better tickets, for the premium tickets, but... The cheaper ones should be left at a cheaper state. I'm not sure exactly what they are normally for games at Allianz Stadium. The cheaper ones, maybe you know, if we're bumping the higher ones up to ninety, the cheaper ones should be at twenty dollars. So that way, people can still go to the football, yeah. but if they want to pay more to have good seats for a big match, then they pay more. Um, maybe that's where the argument goes. That, that was sort of my thought on it this morning when I had a bit of a think about it.
1: Yeah, yeah, it certainly got us thinking. There's no question about that. Uh, Let us know how you go with Andrew Abdo. We'll stay in touch with you um, this morning after you throw that curly one at him and see what you get. Appreciate your time this morning.
4: (laughs) Sounds good, Matty. Thank you, mate. Have a good one.
1: Scott Bailey there from AAP. Let us know your thoughts around that. 0457 736 736. Martin has texted in uh, something that I did see earlier this morning, Martin. Yes, a famous uh, athletics icon has died. Dick Fosbury. Um, who is, well, he's credited with being the inventor, so to speak, of the Fosbury flop. Basically, he was the first one to um, take on the high jump in a different manner, the manner that you see today, where back first is the technique. Um, Dick Fosbury has died this morning at the age of 76. He won gold at the 1968 Mexico Olympics, where he went into um, the high jump and, spun around and took off backwards. Mostly up until then, it was kind of like a forward roll, like a somersault. They came up, they jumped over, and they went head first, facing first. But he took off, bent himself into the J shape that you see, so bent his body completely backwards. He cleared 2.24 metres. Um, One gold, set an Olympic record. And by the next Olympics, more than half of the jumpers We're using his technique, and obviously that is the technique that became standard. The Fosbury flop, and the man behind it, Dick Fosbury, has passed away today. Where did the term come from? Well, it was a reporter. Uh, There's some great documentaries about this because it's more than just somebody who jumped over a bar the other way. His input and um, status in the world of athletics right around. He was from Portland, Oregon, the home of Nike. There's all that playing into it as well but that technique in particular happened after at one of the high school meets there was a reporter there and thought that he looked like a fish flopping in a boat and said that Fosbury flops over the bar was the headline so that's where the term came from and ever since the 1968 Mexico Olympics that's where the jump itself came from and that's what everybody has been doing since so it's hard to think thank you Martin it's hard to think of Many athletes in the world who completely and utterly really have changed the game that they are playing and the way that it's done from thereafter. Some of the rules uh, are adjusted to try and, you know, nullify those. You have dominant um, cricketers like Don Bradman, uh, Walter Lindrum, for instance, in billiards, but this guy changed the way that his sport um, was done. And Dick Fosbury has passed away today at the age of 76 0457 736 736 is the text line. I'll be the best caller in today. 1300 01 three hundred oh one eleven seventy is the open line number. We'll send out to you a Signet Boost Power Bank. Back after this. Getting uh, plenty of your thoughts through on the World Test Championship Final and, and how it could play out. I mean, it's going to be fascinating to watch, but we saw yesterday a, a fizzle of a draw, a fizzer really of a draw between Australia and India. And then... In Christchurch, the end of that first test between New Zealand and Sri Lanka, New Zealand have played in some absolute rippers lately. So it came down to this. Kane Williamson, who got one in the first dig, was 121 not out at the end of yesterday. Daryl Mitchell put basically a runner ball 81 on the scoreboard. And it came down to New Zealand winning off the very last ball of the game. There was all sorts of stuff going on. Williamson's out there. Wagner, Neil Wagner's batting at the other end with a torn hamstring, so can't run. It's basically pitch black by the time they get to the final over. They did some super um, charged sessions to try and force a result in this one or try and get to a result. The floodlights came on in the middle of the last uh, couple of balls and it was just all going on. Have a listen to this, see if you can make sense of what was happening yesterday in the thrilling last couple of balls here at New Zealand v Sri Lanka.
6: It's one for the over. Oh, the lights are on now. Where's that come from? Does he try another short ball? Will New Zealand run a bye? Final ball of this amazing test match here at Hagley Oval. New Zealand need one. Oh, it's a out. If he hits, he's out. He's out. Oh, double play. Double play. We're going upstairs. Upstairs we go. Do New Zealand win or is this a draw? They skanked through.
7: Can I have a look at your best side angle, please? He's got it. He's safe. Oh, he's safe. Oh, oh he's, he's,
6: stranded. he's home. He's, he's, he's safe. Looking forward to the big screen with my decision.
1: Oh, the desperate dive gets New Zealand home in a thriller. Oh, thriller, all right. The most underused, underrated word, I reckon, from yesterday. Absolutely manic the way that it played out. New Zealand win by two wickets in the end, and that is one for the ages. Curdo from Livo says, for the World Test Championship final, just go back to the old ways. Keep bowling, keep going, until both teams are bowled out twice. Can we come up with a way to make sure that we don't end up with a draw or a tie? Because then we end up with a dual winner, which makes no sense for a World <laughs> a Test Championship decider, but we've got to wait until June the 7th for that one at the Oval. 0457 736 736 is my number. It's six and a half minutes to ten o'clock. On the text line, a couple of texts here before we get to the news with Vanessa. The Brisbane Eels says, Maddie, I was initially disappointed. I can't buy tickets to the Eels v. Cowboys playing in July, but not on sale until May. However, if the Eels' form gets worse, do they become cheaper? See, (laughs) I know that that's partly tongue-in-cheek there, Brisbane Eel, but that's kind of what I was uh, saying this morning. I mean, what? What deter- aside from the fact that there's that great rivalry, no doubt about it, but what if the Roosters and Rabidos were going into this one without winning a game? Uh, h- how is the tier one part determined? Is it just purely and utterly on demand for tickets? If that's the case, then let us know, but it's demand and opposition, according to to the Roosters CEO. Uh, Maddie, didn't they used to play cricket until there was a result? I remember Bill Laurie took three days to get 100, or was he just a slow score, say, scorer, says the Serbian Seagull? Yes, there was. I think the longest test ever played went about nine days. I'll do some digging. I'm pretty sure it was nine days. They called it the timeless test, and I'm thinking that it was England and South Africa. But, yeah, you're right. Um, they used to play until there was some kind of result. Um What could we do now? What could we do? Or would you be happy with a draw or a tie if it got down to the World Test Championship final and then both Australia and India are holding up the trophy? I I wouldn't. I don't think in this modern day and age anybody would be. A big second hour of the show coming up. Stay with us. Welcome back. Second hour of the program. Best caller today will be powered up with a Signet Boost power bank 1300 01 1170. Pick up the phone and give me a call. We'll drop everything and take your thoughts You can have your say on a range of issues today. Uh, Coming up soon, Daniel Dixon, who's the chairman of the North Sydney Bears. I just want to get to Daniel and have a chat about what, if anything, has changed since uh, the reports on the weekend that perhaps 20 teams is now the look for the NRL further down the track and the Pacifica is well and truly in focus. And what does that mean for the Bears? Have they... Have they hit the go button on things that perhaps they were sitting on? It it's pretty straightforward for the North Sydney Bears, and I mentioned this yesterday off the back of my chat with Billy Moore, who's also on the board of the Bears, aboard uh, of the Bears, as well. <clears throat> it's pretty straightforward. They want a couple of games at North Sydney Oval. They want to keep their colours and their badge and their history, and that's it. And then they will go wherever the NRL determines that they think they need them. So that's what they will offer and have been offering. But has anything changed over the last couple of days? Bryce McGain will join us to talk cricket and Simon Hill, the host of the global game, to talk football as well. Now, we had that texter about didn't they used to play cricket until there was a result from the Serbian Seagull. And I mentioned that that test match uh, that went nine days. So we quickly did a bit of Dr. Google Um And there's a couple of weird things about this. (laughs) Yes, it went for nine days, but it was actually spread over 12 days. So there were nine days of play. This is in 1939. It was England and South Africa, the fifth test of this series, played in Durban. So it started on the 3rd of March. South Africa had set a target of 696 for England to win. But England had to get the boat home. So this is 1939. You couldn't go to the airport and just jump on the plane like they do now and spear on home. There was a boat waiting and they had to get home. England had reached five for 654. They were chasing 696 to win. So it was the highest ever first-class fourth-inning score and it became the longest test cricket match on record. They thought it wouldn't go any more than five days, but there was rain, And they kept uh, rejuvenating the pitch by rolling it three times during the match. And it was still in good condition. So it was called off because England had to bolt. And guess what? It was called off on this day, on the 14th of March. We didn't know that when we got your text there, Serbian Seagull. So we did some digging. And it turns out that the timeless test that went Nine days of play across a period of 12 days was called off 84 years ago today. Not for any other reason than England had to go and get their boat home. Otherwise, they would have missed it and who knows what would have happened then. So a great bit of wonderful history that you've alerted us to. And like I say, our our texts and calls and our listeners are our best researchers and it sends us down the rabbit hole. The ICC, by the way, was considering the thought of a timeless test for these World Test Championships. Uh, Let's just keep it going. That was a consideration. It's good, however, that they didn't, in my opinion. (laughs) I think we just want it over and done with. Matty, a way to avoid a draw, make the maximum overs a team can face per innings 120, which is basically four sessions, and make the new ball available at 50 overs, then again at 100, says OJ, which is... Thinking outside the square, I mean, we've been determined really what's been determining the length of the test matches in India is the pitch, just that simple. And we got one yesterday, or that ended up finishing yesterday in a draw. However, the ones before that were just so ramshackle and so crazy that they were getting rolled left, right, and center. We kind of got a bit of both. I think somebody in here. Early on, and and I'll go back through the test, the text messages. But somebody said, Well, what about a a slow pitch at one end and a greener pitch at the other end? (laughs) So, let's are we heading towards the days of a half a half and half pitch? That'd be, I mean, they can. Why couldn't they do it? You just see the spinners at one end, you'd see the pace and seam bowlers at the other end, and away we go. Uh, the Seagull's back on. He says 680 overs were bowled in that test. That's right. <laughs> Bizarre, isn't it, though? 84 years to the day that the timeless test came to an end because England had to go. Sorry, got to leave you. 680 overs, uh, more than 1,200 uh, runs scored. In fact, closer to 1,400 runs scored when you add it all up. And we got to go because the boat won't wait. Uh, on the text line here, the Roosters Tier 1 matches a game where they are likely to be more opposition fans than Roosters fans. More opposition fans than Roosters fans. How embarrassing. Jim says, South supporters have been locked out of Friday's game for three weeks. All tickets are available now at exorbitant prices. I smell desperation. Uh, they're cooked. Dino says, Love the show. Thank you, Dino. Typical Roosters and those trying to shut us Bunnies fans out of the Friday night game. It won't matter. We will beat them. Again and comfortably, says Gino from the Gong. Thank you for that. One 1170 oh one eleven seventy. Let's go to the open line. Chris is on the line uh, to talk cricket with us. Good morning, Chris.
3: Good day, Matt. Look, I, I don't think we are, we we've really grasped the importance of this World Cup final yet. I mean, the first one, New Zealand and India, was a fantastic game of cricket, and. It, capturing a lot of the world's attention and I think we're going to be swept up in this as well. I mean, you get this fantastic mace at the end of it if you win. And the thing about the first one was that extra day they've got set aside in case of rain, that's how come the Kiwis won it because it was on the, you know, sixth day really that they came yes. back in Jamis and cleaned up the uh, bottom of the, of the Indian lateral automatic and then... Um, of course, Cade Williamson guided them home with uh, an unbeaten 49. I mean, it's funny how we looked at his performance yesterday. In that test, when nobody could score any runs in that first final, he managed to get 100 runs for once out. He was out for 50 in the first innings and not out 50 in the second innings. Um, it just shows you what a player he was because, I mean, Jamison was man of the match, but Williamson's efforts in that game were phenomenal, but it's a great, it was, it's a great concept. It's a fantastic concept because I think it keeps every cricket team really knowing what they have to do and they have to keep on achieving and playing cricket. They have to go and play maybe places they don't want to play, but, um, you know, there's a pot of gold there, you know, at the end of the rainbow. And, uh, and I think we're going to see what a spectacle this is going to be this time. We're going to Obviously, our focus is going to be on it, but it was a fantastic game, the first one. It was just phenomenal. I was lucky enough to be there for that one.
8: Oh, and, wow, um,
3: yeah. Yeah, I went down to Southampton, and they actually moved it down, down the south uh, for COVID reasons. But um, this one here, I think we're going to see what, what it's all about with this, this World Cup final. It's going to be... Um, it's, it's, it may even overshadow the Ashes. Ooh, that's a big call, Chris. That's a, that's a, I know
1: that's it, a I, massive call. I know it's a big call, but, you know, wait
3: until it builds up and you see what's going on. And we don't know what's happening with India, do we? Because we don't think Pant's going to play. We don't know about Boomer. Um, he'll be very handy in those conditions. But they had all their best players in that game against the Kiwis, and the Kiwis still beat them. So... um. Anyway, it's going to be a fantastic build-up for this day, and it's going to be a fantastic game of cricket.
1: Yeah, good on you, mate. I really appreciate your thoughts and I agree with you. I think it's going to be enormous. I reckon one of the real keys about this, especially after what we've just seen in India and in cricket circles, I've been having this chat with my cricket mates over the course of the last month or so about just what kind of challenge and test you are faced with, for instance, when you're an Australian going and playing a series in India from everything, from the noise, from the country itself, from the conditions, the whole box and dice. I think one of the real keys about this is that we get to see Australia v. India on neutral ground and therefore on supposedly, well, uh, hopefully, a, a neutral pitch. And to see these two going at it, in conditions that don't favour Australia, shouldn't don't favour India, I think is going to be the absolute key to it. But um, I don't know if it's bigger than the ashes. We'll, we'll wait and see. Appreciate the call, Chris. Thank you very much. As we know, the North Sydney Bears have put their hands up to be the expansion team for the NRL. And this got fast forwarded on the weekend with the reports around perhaps we start to look at 20 teams instead of 18 teams. We've questioned whether we're getting ahead of ourselves. We spoke to Billy Moore last week from the Bears, and he laid it out pretty clear about what their intentions are. Wanted to dig a bit deeper today, and the chairman of the Bears, Daniel Dixon, is on the line. Good morning, Daniel. Thanks for your time.
5: Hey, Matty, how are you?
1: Good, thanks. I appreciate the fact that you're overseas, so um, I won't take up too much of your time. Has anything changed? Has anything changed, Daniel, in the last few days for you guys off the back of those reports? Does anything change in your focus about a, wanting to be a team, the new team, in in a future expansion, or B, where that team might be?
5: Yeah, Matt, it's, it, in the last few days, definitely not. Um, to be honest with you, we've been just waiting and working with the NRL, and they're the ones who have made the decision around where the franchise is going to go, and you know, this, I was probably surprised at anyone to see that eight, uh, 19 and 20 tens were spoken about as well. Um, but at the same time, the expansion in general is exciting, and... And we, we've just done all the work we need to do and we're just sort of sitting and waiting to ensure that, you know, when they say, let's go, uh, we're going to be in the best possible
6: position.
1: So can we just reconfirm what Billy said to me? And am I right in, in paraphrasing him that the Bears non-negotiables are, let's keep our colours, our jumper, obviously, let's keep our badge. We want our history to remain intact in a couple of games at North Sydney Oval. And the rest essentially, you tell us where you want us and we'll go there. Is it is it that is it that plain and simple?
5: Yeah, let me just go one layer deeper than that. I think if, let's look at what the NRL need. Forget what we need for the moment. If they don't get what they need, we're nowhere. Um, and we know that we've got some pretty passionate fans. We've got a very long, we're a foundation club, 115 years of uh, history and heritage in there. You know, over a 1,000 legends for the club. So for us, it's not just about we'll go anywhere. Uh, we do have some not negotiables. And why would you uh, use a, a brand like the Bears and change the colours and change the logo and so on? Um, But what I think it is, it's more about saying we're agile enough to know that it won't just be placed in North Sydney. And and we made that move two years ago when we took the North Sydney out of the logo. I know the NRL liked that. They did the same with the Dolphins. Um, So, look, it's not not changing the course for us at all, but it's not for us to decide where we go. All we're saying is that we're definitely in a position where we can be more on the road and uh, we'll find the right place where the NRL needs us to be.
1: It's interesting. Um, there's, There's sort of two P's. Um, the letter P involved in this. It could be, you know, if if we just narrowed it down, it could be the Perth Bears or the Pacifica Bears. And as you say, you (laughs) guys are willing to have those discussions. Is there anything from your members, from your supporters, from the rusted on Bears fans who say we prefer one or the other?
5: Um, Look, if you ask the Bears fans, they they don't care if it's in Helsinki. Um, But at the same time, (laughs) They definitely want to make sure that the Bears brand is not eroded and that someone just doesn't take it and run with it and get the license And So that's why they're not negotiables. Are there? Um, no, there was some really strong interest for Perth at the start, and, and that's obviously because it was the only option. And as things pop up there, um, we're, we're not tying ourselves to one place saying that's all we've got. And at the same time, we've done some great work on, on, on those areas that you're talking about. And, you know, they all have very different offerings uh, and, and not one is a, is a specific standout. Um, I know there's a lot of rugby league throughout the Pacific, and obviously, you know, Perth is a very big area. It's just a long way away, um, and the Pacific obviously has a lot of players playing in the NRL right now. So to see that sort of support, and I know the Prime Minister's come out and give me support behind that as well, it's uh, obviously a great step. But again, for us, just, we just want to be a successful partner. Um, we've done all the things from an investment point of view, from financial backing, uh, to make sure that if they, if they come knocking, we're ready to go. And I, I do feel, I do feel that it's going to be sooner rather than later.
1: When Billy and I had the discussion about what, what lessons you could learn from the Dolphins, we focused on the coach and obviously yeah. getting experienced players and all that kind of stuff. And I, and I think they're no brainers. What lessons do you learn from the Dolphins coming in from a business point of view, which is, which is in your wheelhouse, obviously? What do you pick up from what yeah. they did business wise?
5: Well, you know, I've got to congratulate them. They had a 13 or 14 month lead into which I think um, anyone that would choose a 24 month would be ideal um, or close enough to that. I think they've done a remarkable job and the one thing I love about them is that they've proven something that I've always felt. There is not a lack of depth. The Q Cup and the New South Wales Cup are awesome football platforms Um, and the things we've learned about it is probably you do need that runway. You do need that 24 months uh, to get going. Still possible for 25 now if that was to be a um, on the cards in the NRL and I think just making sure that you're you're looking at your entire pathways this is a community bid this is not just about a team this has got to work all the way down to its local areas and what what, what Penrith have done great is also their pathways and I know the Dolphins have also done that very well so I think pathways to me and ensuring that you get the right uh, people on board supporting the business financially is two of the most important things
1: just a final one then. So if the NRL, you know how crazy rugby league can be, Daniel. If the NRL just woke up tomorrow and yep. said, right, we've got to go, Let, let's go. Are you ready? If, if I yep. said to you right now, Daniel, the Bears yep. are coming in and we need you in, say, yep. next year or the year after, are you good to go?
5: Yeah, I'll, I'll ask you for an arm over the next year and I'll say 25, we're good to go. It, it's, it's, it's We just need to get moving on that if we're going to be the ones there. Uh, I do love the fact that every bit of media is spoken about has the Bears' involvement. So I'm wrapping up that. Uh, and we've done enough work to know that 25 is, is, is the, the time that we would need to be ready for. And I think there's no other brand that could really get ready in that time. we be been people out of the out of woodwork, that have been hibernating, pardon the pun, for 24 years. Um, and so, yes, 25, we're good to go. 24, I'll have to ask for uh, a, a, another year.
1: All right. Yeah, and that makes complete sense. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for taking our call this morning. And, and let's so see much. how this one plays out.
5: Appreciate it. Thank you very much.
1: Daniel Dixon there, the chairman of the North Sydney Bears. So, yep, let's let's go. If they say 2025, I mean, the, the points and the, the arguments around this are, are quite compelling. And from somebody like in his position, and I did a bit of research this morning around the board members of the North Sydney Bears, and, um, look, they're all very experienced um, businessmen they've also got a lot of experience in the world of sport rugby league itself and the local area um, an incredibly passionate and experienced board that the North Sydney Bears have so the question then is you know wh- what do you look at the, the Dolphins because there is a fear that we're getting a little bit caught too caught up here in the Dolphins winning their first two matches it's all great what happens when there's injuries and fatigue and all sorts of stuff I think on-the-field performance is going to come and go. I think that's a, that's a given. Nobody expects them to win all the way throughout the season. I didn't expect them to be in the top eight, and I still don't. But that's on the field. It's about how you get a club up and running into the NRL and make it count straight away. In the modern day and age, especially with the big bucks attached to the TV broadcast rights and what expansion can mean, go all the way through the discussion that we had yesterday about government money and oil money up in Papua New Guinea and up throughout the Pacifica region, etc. then there's a lot at stake here. You can't afford to get it wrong. And it appears to me as though the North Sydney Bears in particular are doing exactly what the Dolphins did. They're crossing all the T's and dotting the I's before they get the phone call. The history's there, the colours are there, the jumper's there. We know all that. And that beautiful ground at North Sydney Oval is just sitting there waiting to be lit up again. But the business case has to be ready to go straight away. And then everything flows off the back of that. Uh, The Berry Bear says Daniel Dixon is a smart operator. He's as important to the new team as any player signing. He grew up in North Sydney, was the president of his junior club, just like his dad and brother. Rugby league's in his DNA. Very successful in businesses, and has brought that to the Bears and to top it off, he's a good bloke. Up the Bears, says the Berry Bear. Thank you for that text. It's 22 minutes after 10. We'll take a break. More after this. Welcome back. Uh, don't forget the Bryden Lawyers, uh, your verdict. Pick one NRL winner each week for your chance to win $2,500. Survivor.com.au, the Brydon's Lawyers, your verdict. Uh, 0457 736, 736 Matty, you can go on the Ticketek website right now and get tickets for the Roosters Rabbitohs game for $45 for adults and $25 for kids. All right, we'll have a crack at that. But this is about um, the category of tickets and where they were. And um, also one of the things that was pointed out in the article this morning um, that has started this debate was the 10% discount that was offered too. Um, I, look, as I said at the very top of this program, the, the nitty-gritty of pricing is... Super important here. What I'm trying to get my head around too is the tiering. uh, Who determines what match is tiered higher than another match in the regular season. Stu says any club should be able to charge any price for tickets. If it's too expensive, don't go. Clubs will get the message if they are price gouging. Um, That's a fair point. All this blow up about ticket prices. The club can charge what they want just as the fan can say that's too expensive. I'm not going. It's no different to any business. Um, Matty, why don't the South fans use the super secret password on the Ticket Tech website and buy tickets at members' prices? I mean, so much has has fallen out of this discussion this morning. Um, But nobody can seem to give me an answer as to what determines a Tier 1 match. The Roosters uh, ticketing here is poor. Club games should have uniform ticket pricing, says Martin. Another example of alienating fans, it's greed. I'm a member at Allianz, so it won't affect me if I decide to go. It's just a very bad look. And the justification by the Roosters makes it even worse, says Martin. Well, that's probably the question. And that's the way that I was looking at it this morning. Should club games have uniform ticket pricing? Some games are tiered bigger than others. This is blatant price gouging. I attended the Para v Melbourne game on a Thursday night at Bankwest, ComBank, um, to purchase half-decent tickets. was $100 times four. The wife and two uni students, $400. Food at least, $100. Few drinks, coffees, etc. Another 100 A member of the Para League. So parking was free. That night for the four of us cost us $600. Yes, I can afford it, but 90% of the diehards cannot. And if, the, if they do purchase tickets, they'll struggle to pay uh, until the next pay packet. I thought NRL was a working-class game. So that takes it down from the concerned eel, um, down the pricing factor and all of this as well. Let's go to the news. We'll take your thoughts and calls after this. Thanks, Vanessa. Jimmy Smith with the call. Tommy Gallup and Oscar Foreman as well. On the text line via our Twitter feed at MattyWhiteSEN, uh, Ed Womble says, looks like the Roosters have put the Souths and the Anzac Day game as a Tier 1 game. Yes, but the NRL should force clubs to have fixed prices like the Big Bash in force. Uh, let's discuss that more with our open line callers. Luke from Lake Macquarie is on the line. Good morning, Luke. Go for it.
7: Hi, Matty. Um, yeah, I was just wanted to call in and let you know that I, um, I'm taking my kids down to see the Sydney roosters Parramatta game. Um, it's an away game, which is that's unusual for us to do that, but I really wanted to go to the new stadium in Sydney. I live in Newcastle. And yep. when I looked online, so I booked accommodation then looked online for tickets, and there was really only corner tickets available, I noticed that the top tier wasn't selling, so I rang the Eels Club and they said, you know, we don't control that, I rang the Roosters Club and they said, we don't control that upper tier we can only sell the bottom tier so in the end I end up buying behind the goalpost tickets but at what point do they determine, well, we're going to open the top tier like if, if they do that, I'm sort of stuck with my crap tickets and I'd much rather sit in the second tier in the middle of the field but they're not selling them yet
1: Okay, um, so this is for round four, is it? Uh, round four or five? I think it is end of, yeah, end of March. Yeah, round five. 30th yeah, of, I think five, it's the 30th I, of March. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Round five. So while you've been talking, I've been trying to find the tickets on the um, on the website here. So the top tier, uh, what at either end or, or just the top tier around the entire stadium? So saying above is the yep. above the
7: concourse. Yeah. Above the concourse is not for sale yet. And I looked. I wanted to get decent seats because I'm coming all the way down from Newcastle. And there was only sort of corner seats available. I thought, well, I'm not paying the good price for crap seats. We'll just take the cheaper family option behind the ingoal. But I couldn't get above, like in that section, like above the concourse. And in my opinion, they're a better seat than where I've got my tickets at the moment. And I was prepared to pay for them. But they're just the Roosters clubs. Because I actually rang the Roosters club to say, how do I get good seats? And they said, sorry, we don't sell that section. So who's that up to? When do they determine whether that's open or not? I mean, they've built oh, the God. stadium to bring them the crowds in, and yeah. now they're keeping me
1: out. Oh, I've got no idea. Did you end up at the northern end or the southern end, mate?
7: Uh, good question. I bought them about a week and a half ago. I can't yeah. remember. I just saw right out. Oh, we're going behind the, behind the posts. It was in the GA. Um, so we're yeah. going to have to try and get there early. But we booked accommodation around and everything. Um, but what will frustrate me, I suppose, is if in a week or two's time, they decide that, yep, we're selling the top tier, and I'm yeah. stuck with the tickets that I've got.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So what I'm trying to do that right now. So I can see where you've bought. Just say you bought at the northern end, for instance, and you smack bang behind the, yep. behind the um, sticks there. So at the moment, general admission. You'd be in either Bay 23 or five, depending on which end you're at. Thirty-five dollars for an adult, yep. twenty-five for concession, and twenty for juniors. Um and a two adult two junior. No, no pass. complaints about the
7: pricing. You know what I mean. Yep. I was prepared to pay yeah. more to sit in better seats, but I wasn't yeah, going to pay. The, I think it was gold section to be sitting right in the corner, um, and yeah, it's just frustrating to see all those seats above the second tier available and you oh. you couldn't get, gain access to them. And I and I don't know what triggers. Like, is that are they available for this weekend for the South game? I wonder.
1: Yeah, let's have a look. I mean, I'm trying to have a look now, and basically, it's saying those ones that you're looking at in the in the upper tier, no available tickets. So I could I could only assume, um, mate, that I the only way I could assume that is that once the demand starts to take you up towards that area, then they start to open it up. That's the only assumption that I can make on there. But we'll dig that one out. But that's a another issue around this. Like you say, you, you're fine with the pricing. Those tickets are what you've got at the moment. But if they do open them up, then either you're gonna to have to pay again or sit there and look up thinking yeah. I could have been sitting there. It's it's a bit of an anomaly. Appreciate it, Luke. We'll have a Sorry, mate. Go ahead.
7: I was just gonna say, do you think the Eels will give the Sea a touch up this weekend?
1: No <laughs> <laughs> You're
7: not buying or anything, are you? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> not, I, not I, at I all. do like what Seabold's doing over there. I, yeah, he's a great coach, I think.
1: Yeah, no, nah, and they're they're a good unit. It's going to be a good one, the old manly paradise. On you, mate, got to move on. We'll, we'll have a little dig around that and see whose responsibility it is. I can only imagine that being that it's a Roosters match, obviously, um, that they have the call. Um, that one on the 30th of March, so that's round five. Appreciate that call. Uh, Pedro, you can go ahead on the NRL ticket issue as well.
8: Well, it's not necessarily, Matt. How you going? It's not necessarily the ticket issue I wanted to discuss, Matt. It was the... Uh the popularity of the ever-increasing popularity of the sport of um, roosters bashing, I'm really enjoying it. I mean, it's, there's so many platforms um, and so many areas you can get on, and you can you, know, you can put the booty in. You can, There's so many areas. I'm really enjoying it all around. It just seems like every second story is about the roosters, and I don't know whether it's been written... It seems to be written with a bent, as most stories are. They they, they want to create headlines. Like, agreed. It's not great, but it's business with the ticketing. It's business. And as far as I know, the Roosters uh, supporters are paying extra as well. But it seems the story was we were just trying to get into the South supporters. Not the case at all.
1: Yeah, yeah. Look, I actually think you're right. I mean... You sit back and you, you're right, Pedro. There's so many levels, um, with which I mean. Think of the discussions that we've already had this morning, around James Tedesco resigning. What does that mean then further down the track for Swali'i and Joey Manu? Um, have they reacted just to, to media talk in this one and now the pricing as well? It's the lot which, of and a Roosters and Brown. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> right. Well, we didn't really, mate. We ran out of time yesterday to get to that one. Mate, um, good on can, you, mate. I've got a, I've got please, a bolt. Can I Shane. Yeah, yeah, go quick, be real quick. Go. Quick.
8: Um, I just mentioned when when I got my tickets at the start of the year, it did um, actually say I couldn't go use my my tickets, my free tickets to the St George uh, Roosters game, the ANZAC Day, and I'm not sure about this game. So it is, it's it's in there to T's and and So yeah. anyway, all right, good on you, mate. Thank
1: you, mate. Appreciate the call. I've got Shane on the line. Uh, Nick says, Maddie, the middle tier, middle top tier at Alliance is for SCG slash SFS members, isn't it? That might be part of the answer. Mate, I, I'm not sure. On the North Sydney Bears issue, Shane, uh, you'd like to have your say.
6: Yeah, morning, Matty.
9: Look, the more I think about this Pacifica Bears uh, franchise, the more I think it can work. I know Perth was a thought. but I think Volandis has probably balked over the um, travel time. If you did base a Pacifica Bears team in Cairns, it still is rugby league heartland up north. Yeah, and you play one game in Tonga, one in Samoa, Fiji. Uh, then you have your two at North Sydney. And you're still going to play a fair few games on the East Coast in Sydney and Heartland. So you're going to have that massive supporter base from the Bears. Uh, I agree with Daniel Dixon. Bear supporters don't care where we go. Uh, we go to Helsinki. As long as the red and black remains, the Grizzly Bear and the history, um, I think it could work. The, the only downside, I don't think New Guinea would get on board. They want their own side. And, and you can't face a team in New Guinea in Port Moresby. It's just too dangerous. I've got mates living up there, and they still have to live in a compound. Uh, yeah. the, the New Guinea franchise just won't work. But this could work, this Pacific one. You play a heap of games in the islands, one-off games, and on the East Coast. Uh, Dixon said the Bears are ready to contribute full-time. If Albanese is fair, him and he's not just looking for votes, he will jump on board. But I think the New Guinea part of it, they'll just have to get a couple of games up there and you know wait and see what happens. Because it's it's just too dangerous a place to live at the moment.
1: Yeah, no, really good points. Thank you for that, Shane. Appreciate that. Again, look, I listened to what Peter Valandis was saying and I saw what he was saying and I think they're going to stick to what they know best, which is what is the data? What, is the, what are the cold, hard facts tell us on this one? Because you can make a lot of emotional decisions in sport and most of those will come back to bite you in a business sense. However, if the game has in, in its mind and on its desk that it wants to be a national rugby league and further its, foots, uh, its footprint nationally, then I, I don't know about just basing a team in Cairns and taking it up to the Pacific. And that, to me, is where Perth then comes into play. I, I'm, I'm still of the opinion, and I reckon that the overwhelming um, majority will end up going the other way, but I'm still of the opinion that you look you look in your own backyard first. Yeah, we've got to grow the game, but do you do that at the expense of the competition that you've got? If the answer to that is no, then that starts to make a, a pretty decent argument to go up there. However, if you want a truly national footprint that covers both east and western um, coastlines of Australia, then you've got to look in your own backyard first. So that's going to be the difference. That, that to me, is going to be one of the big arguments. But it'll all come down to dollars. That That's where it's really going to matter the most. We'll take a break. Thank you for your calls. Keep them coming. one three hundred zero one eleven seventy. 1170 Welcome back. We've spoken a lot this morning about the World Test Championship now coming our way June 7 at the Oval Australia v India. But what do the Aussies take out of the series now that it's done and dusted with India winning uh, 2-1 in that draw yesterday? Bryce McGain, former Australian cricketer, of course, SEN cricket commentator, Is on the line. Morning, Bryce. Uh, If you're part of the Australian setup today and you're you're decompressing after the Border Gavisgar series, what do you think the big takeaway is? Uh, Good morning, Matt.
2: Uh, Great to be catching up once again. And look, I think there's an enormous amount of positivity uh, on how that group has been able to adapt um, from being heading over in that first test completely underprepared. Um, I think they've learned a lot about how you need to prepare for Indian conditions. The longer it went on and the more that the Australian team were able to adapt, the better they got. Now, that includes the bowlers, not just the batters. And uh, I guess in hindsight, they'll look back and go, gee, an hour of madness of sweeping and the pressure in Delhi may very well have cost the whole series. Um, it could have been a very different situation should they have been able to put on 80, if not 100 more runs, um, just by some good, gritty batting. So there, there will be a bit of regret in their hearts, I'm sure, but there's a lot of positivity coming out of that group.
1: That's an interesting one, isn't it? Because they're, they're the kind of things that sometimes in cricket you just can't control. Those dips that go for half an hour or an hour, but they have massive effect in a place like India. So... How does Andrew McDonald and the team then go, we need to work out how to control the uncontrollable factor that may have cost us dearly?
2: Well, I think they were able to do that. And um, credit to all the coaching staff. And I think Dan Vittori's had a big part to play in that as well from a spin bowling perspective. The assistant coach of the Australian team alongside Andrew McDonald, as you mentioned. I think the whole group have been able to analyse that, support the players and help them with their plans and give them more time to just keep practising and executing their batting skills and what we saw in that third test, which is a monumental victory. And then even in this test, there were times even yesterday, like it could have just fallen over in a heap and Australia could have rolled over, but they didn't. The ball still was spinning past the outside edge, but they didn't panic. Travis Head kept playing his positive brand of cricket and Marnus Labashain, although he'd been caught out a little bit, stuck on the crease throughout the period, it was a good time for him as well. Um, Different batting conditions warranted, but I think there's so many positives out of that and I I think we've already seen how they adapt from those situations because they simply just didn't let it happen again for the rest of the series.
1: I mean, hindsight, (laughs) Bryce, is a wonderful thing. (laughs) Can we, can we imagine what this series may have looked like if Cameron Green in particular, who's, who's showing how much of a linchpin he's going to be in the future, but he's arrived well and truly there, how much different it may have been and, and just how, how important his position's going to be going forward for the Aussie team?
2: Yeah, it's it's critical, him to get his first uh, Test 100 uh, in in such difficult conditions. And, um, you know, he's a a shining light. And it was not only the the big scores that he made, it was the partnership he was able to do. Such a big player in these conditions with a big stride down the wicket. He was mucking up the spinner's length. So it helped players like uh, Hanscom at the other end. They were able to build partnerships. He helps batting with others because the bowlers can't just keep hitting the same length over and over and challenging. He's, he changes so much, and he's a really good player. And he bowls 140 k's an hour as well. So I can't wait for him to get over to England because I think he's going to be a huge player over there. He can play the moving ball. He can handle pace. He can obviously handle spin, but he's then got this string to his bow, which is fast and moving the ball. He's going to be a terrific player as we just look to the horizon, the Ashes. Uh, it's really exciting for Cameron Green.
1: Just a final one, mate. Uh, the World Test Championship we've been discussing this morning, you know, that the last thing you want to see is a is a draw or a tie, for instance, in that World Test Championship final. Have you got any thoughts on, uh, given what we've seen, both New Zealand, Sri Lanka, England, um, Australia, India, the way that different test matches are playing out in different days and different endings, is there anything yeah. that we could do to spice up the World Test Championship and make sure that we get a result out of it?
2: Well, keep a bit of moisture in the wicket. I'm sure that that'll keep a bit of grass on the wicket as well. I'm sure that'll change things. Uh, what what we do know, there won't be three spinners in the Australian lineup. We do know that uh, there'll be a lot more quicks, and Scott Boland will come into the picture there, and even Lance Morris, and obviously by that stage Hazelwood, and you know it'll have a bit more familiarity. And of course, the captain comes back in, in Pat Cummins as well. So look, it, it'll be a completely different bowling lineup, but I, I would suspect it'll be. Good conditions in that it won't be a flat road. There'll be plenty of spice involved there, and India have their own fast bowling brigade that are pretty talented as well. So it's going to be completely different type style of cricket. It's going to be really exciting and something to really look forward to in amongst that Ashes campaign as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, we've got some great stuff coming our way. Appreciate your thoughts, Bryce. Thanks for your time. Great to catch up again, Matt. Have a ripper day. You too, Bryce McGain. There, yeah, and there's there's a name that that was it's been right in front of us but missing obviously and whilst we focus on you know unfortunately pat cummins had to return home and then steve smith takes over that captaincy josh Hazelwood, folks josh Hazelwood, there's a name that didn't get to play a part in this one um and things will be different over there in england for the ashes obviously and the world test championship at the oval so that one's june 7 um takeaways from the Indian series. If you've got any, let me know. Oh four five seven seven three six seven three six is the text line. Uh, plenty of thoughts too on the North Sydney Bears. I mean, this issue just continues to bubble along and they are front and centre in this discussion. There's no doubt about it. Um, I think now it starts to go towards the destination. If they are going to be the team that, that wins the next round of expansion, uh, what's the destination? Is it Perth or is it the Pacifica? You can have your say on that. Six and a half minutes to 11 o'clock. Hope you're having a great Tuesday morning. Thanks for tuning in to the morning show here on SCN, 1170 a.m. in Sydney and wherever you're listening to us via the SCN app. If you don't have it, very simple. Uh, Just download the SCN app and everything is at your fingertips, including the ability to catch up and get in touch with us. Uh, Pick up the phone for this last hour, 1300 01 1170. And you can have your say on a range of issues as per normal on this program. Uh, Cricket at the forefront. Pricing of tickets as well. We're going to talk football very soon with Simon Hill. Uh, They've got Andrew Redmayne on their show tonight. Uh, Simon and Alex Brosk on the Global Game. And the Socceroos have named a 26-man squad for the Welcome Home Friendly Series, which is against Ecuador later this month at Combank Stadium in Sydney and their Marvel Stadium down in Melbourne. So we'll catch up with uh, Simon Hill very, very soon. Right, let's get to these texts that have uh, continued to come on through. Uh, don't forget if you want to call me, 1300 one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. Maddie, did the Aussie cricket team suddenly learn to adapt or was the change in captaincy the turning point in India? Kev from Camden says, I think we've seen that Steve Smith is the man to have the C next to his name on the field. Um, look, I mean, there's there's no doubt that You learn to adapt along the way and the changing pitches and everything else that goes with it. But we can argue till the cows come home, whether or not you think player A or player B should be in charge of the Australian cricket team, it's Pat Cummins's cricket team. It's as simple as that. And he'll be the captain when when he returns uh, straight after that. Um, Thank you, Kev. Appreciate that. Glenn, two years ago, they were playing in front of cardboard cutouts just to get the NRL on TV. Now we're putting a premium on a club match as a tier one when two weeks ago, the Roosters played like a tier three team. We'll be whinging about bums on seats again by round 10 when the table thins out. Uh, This just seems stupid, this tier one BS for a club game. Glenn says, respect the fans, guys. Uh yeah. Uh, Matty, pricing for games comes down to pure basic economics. If the demand is high for tickets, the price increases. Surely people realise a Souths v. Chooks match has more appeal than, say, a Warriors v. Tigers match, says Matt. Yeah, yep, and that's, that's part of this argument as well. The determination, though, around when you call a match a Tier 1 match, what does the NRL say about this? I mean, when you've got the match... It's your home club match. I I get all that. Does the NRL have any say in this? Do they want to have any say in it? I'm not sure. North Sydney coming back into the NRL probably makes more sense if you want a club up and running in 2025, um, says Mel in Brizzy. The team's spoken about Perth and a Pacifica team in Cairns. Not sure about the Cairns one, but Perth in the future, yes. That said... 20 teams in the NRL is that sustainable even in 8 to 10 years it's a nice round number isn't it and a round number is going to be much better than what we've got at the moment Um, 18 teams I think I've I've said long and hard before the Dolphins came in I, I think an 18th team is an absolute priority especially before the next cycle of TV rights on a whole range of reasons but the basic reason is one more match, more advertising dollars, more uh, that you go to those broadcasters and say, hey, listen, you're going to pay us this much. We're going to get more back. That's sort of the, the principle of the whole thing. But the question about the sustainability of another two teams after that, that's one to address down the track. I think that the number that jumped out at us on the weekend is great for a headline and great for a discussion. It's not going to feature in any real way, shape or form for a number of years and probably close to half a decade or maybe a decade. Uh, I feel the ticket pricing is the club's way to encourage season ticketed memberships. Hmm. Uh, This one from Phil. Granted, this doesn't help the the away teams unless clubs come to agreements around reciprocal rights. South Sydney and Bulldogs would allow the opposite members into their matches at a core stadium. If the NRL wants to be the game for everyone... It Makes itself out to be regular season games should be priced the same across the season venue, depending until it gets to the end of the season when the games really count. Phil says, Great discussions, uh, great discussions here as always. Uh, yeah, uh, see, this is what I've been trying to narrow it down to. If it's if the regular season is the regular season, then what's the difference between a round one match and a round 25 match? I understand the difference between finals and I understand the difference between a grand final and I completely understand the difference with a state of origin. But if a regular round match is all worth, all worth the same points for those who are playing it, why is it different for those who are watching it? Uh, the Serbian Seagull. You've been active this morning, Seagull. You're up and into it. Isn't it a backhanded compliment the Chooks are giving Souths uh, calling it a higher tier match? What if both teams are coming in 12th? And 13th, uh, the mighty Manly Seagulls are the only top-tier side. <laughs> you know it, I know it. The world knows knows it, says the Serbian Seagull. Uh, regarding the discussion around Kalen Ponga, Matty, I think there's something to giving a player with a history of concussions a good break. Bernard Foley set out a full season after so many head knocks that a butterfly could have knocked him out. He came back a much better player, and if I remember correctly, he didn't suffer a knock out on the field again. The, the question that we posed around this, and, and I'll, I will default to the experts on that. There's no way in the world I'm going to say, I think Caelan Ponga should do this or that. I'm not a doctor. So let's leave it in their hands. I guess the question is, if the Knights, and this is the question that we pose, if the Knights decide for whatever reason that they um, take their action from, if the Knights say, well, we need to give Kalen Ponga an indefinite break here Do they have the right? And then what does the NRL say if they go, look, we need some salary cap uh, dispensation? Um, Our response from the NRL this morning, because we did put this question to them around ticket prices, is straightforward. The prices are all determined by the clubs alone. So it's just that simple. The clubs determine their prices. That is not in the realm of the NRL. Thanks to the NRL for getting us uh, getting back to us on that one. Uh, 0457 736, 736 is the text line. Or 1300 01 1170 is the open line. Matty says, "Paramat, what do you mean if it rains for the WTC um, championship final there? It's in England. <laughs> I think you mean when it rains. It's in England in June, isn't it? So, um, yeah, I mean, hey, anything's possible. But then again... Let's let's have a little look in our own backyard, folks. <laughs> the Sydney Test. Do you want me, do you want me to um, bring up the war on that one? Uh, let's talk football right now because Simon Hill is on the line. A special guest tonight on the global game will be Andrew Redmayne and the Socceroos have named their 26-man squad. Um, this will be a beauty, Simon. Good morning to you. The Welcome Home Friendly Series against Ecuador later this month and They've rolled out some, some good names and some up-and-coming names as well.
0: Yeah, morning to you, Matthew. Um There's uh, a few interesting names that have been selected by Graham Arnold, uh, not least Alex Robertson, who's a young midfielder playing at Manchester City, uh, where Pep Guardiola clearly seems to rate him quite highly. sat on the bench against RB Leipzig in the UEFA Champions League uh, last week. He might be on the bench again for the return leg this week. Uh, so very much on the fringe of, uh, you know, the big time at, at a very big club in the English Premier League. And um, he, he's following in a great tradition. His father, Mark Robertson, was a Socceroo and his grandfather, Alex, was a Socceroo as well. Uh, it's taken a bit of time, I think, for Arnie to uh, convince him that his future is with Australia because, of course, he's, he's got the option to play for England as well. I think he's played for their junior teams. Uh, but it appears now that he's he's fully committed to Australia. So he's certainly one name, you know, that we can keep an eye on. It'd be interesting to see if he gets his debut in that two-game series. Uh, and there are others who've got uh, first-time call-ups. Joe Gauchi, the Adelaide United goalkeeper. Uh, Danny bukovic of course, has uh, retired from international football now. Uh, and Aidan O'Neill and Jordan Boss from Melbourne City, two players who've uh, really stood out in City's uh, very good campaign. Of course, they're top of the A-League ladder at the moment. And... Uh, yeah, I don't think there's too many people who would argue with uh, with many of those selections. Uh, and Nestorio and Kunda, there is a, a train-on player as well to get some experience. So it, it's an exciting squad, I think.
1: Yeah, and and I read the two around Alexander Robertson there, and he, you mentioned his dad and his grandfather. So he'd become the first ever third-generation socceroo. Um, that's that's quite a first. But some exciting talent, as you mentioned. What what will they be looking for? In this series, Combank Stadium, then Marvel Stadium. I mean, the appetite for the Socceroos and football is is there. We know it. Uh, What will Graham Arnold and the squad be looking for out of this series against Ecuador?
0: Well, of course, the next big tournament is is not too far away. The Asian Cup, uh, which will take place, you won't be surprised to hear, in Qatar <laughs> in January <laughs> next year. Seems as though every football tournament takes place in yeah. Qatar at the moment. Um, so that's, you know, less than 12 months away. And obviously, given the form that the soccer has showed at the World Cup, you know, we will go into that tournament as, as one of the favourites. So he'll be looking to build cohesion. This is the first time he's had the squad together since the World Cup where they did so well. Uh, so it'll be a mixture of, you know, a bit of a celebration of that, uh, a nod to the past. Whilst also looking to the future, I, I'm pretty certain he'll look to integrate some of those new players that we've already talked about. Uh, Arnie's talked a lot in the past about, you know, building depth with uh, the national team squad. He's done that to a great degree with the likes of Garan Quall and uh, Nathaniel Atkinson, Kai Rolls, Kenny Devlin. Uh, they've all been integrated along with others like Keanu Backus over the last... Uh, 12, 18 months, uh, and now we've, you know, perhaps getting the chance to look at this next generation with O'Neill and Boss and and Aaron Kunder and Robertson. So, you know, th- this is all healthy for the national team, and I'm actually quite excited by this, uh, you know, this new generation uh, to add to to the players. I talked about like Garen Quall and Atkinson and Rolls, etc. Um, it, it, it's lowering the average age of, of the Socceroos quite significantly, and uh, you know, if they all gel together, then as an exciting decade ahead, I think, for the national team.
1: A-League, so Melbourne City continue um, to ex- extend their lead at the top of the table. The focus um, Saturday night at Allianz Stadium will be Sydney against Western Sydney. So Sydney FC sixth and Western Sydney remain there in fourth. I feel like I've, I've said this for the last possibly two or three weeks that Sydney FC, it's, it's that crunch time. They're in that, they're in that zone where they have to make a move quickly.
0: Well, they certainly need to cement their place in the sixth. There's only three points uh, separating them from Newcastle and and one or two other clubs in in seventh and eighth and ninth. So uh, this is a big game for Sydney. And of course, they lost at the weekend, edged out by Wellington Phoenix over there in New Zealand. Um, And if they can't lift for a a local derby, then they've probably got no business in being in the finals. This will be a cracker on Saturday, not least because... Of course, there was a bit going on between the two coaches at the end of the last derby in Parramatta a few weeks back, which uh, Sydney won by a goal to nil. Um, So it'll be interesting to see if that uh, spills over onto the pitch at the weekend. I have no doubt there'll be another big crowd. I think we had 35,000 there for the first derby of the season at Allianz. And, um, yeah, given all the heat that's been between the two since, uh, I would imagine something similar or hopefully a bit better uh, and, and it's important for Wanderers as well. Uh, you know, they lost to Perth. Um, and if Sydney were to win at the weekend, then there'd only be one point between them uh, on the ladder. And the Wanderers wouldn't be, you know, necessarily guaranteed their spot in the finals either. So it, it's a big, big game for both clubs. And uh, you never know. We might even see them play each other in the finals as well, given the league standings. Wouldn't that be something that yeah. hasn't happened yeah. yet, but uh, it would be interesting.
1: That would be something. You've got Andrew Redmayne on tonight. That'll be a bit of fun.
0: Yep. Yeah, Red has obviously played for both sides of the divide in the Sydney derby. Uh, Firstly with Wanderers. Now he's very much with uh, Sydney FC. And he's been called up to the Socceroos squad as well. Uh, And, of course, he's he's a bit of a national hero these days, isn't he, after those penalty saves against Peru. So there'll be a fair bit to chat about.
1: Good on you, mate. Have a great show tonight.
0: Thanks, mate. All
7: the best.
1: There it is, the global game. Simon Hill tonight. Yeah, Andrew Redmayne, the special guests. uh, Simon and Alex uh, Brosk from 9 o'clock Eastern Daylight, saving time right here on the SEN network. 0457 736 736 is the number. Morning, Matt. Great show. After reading... Thank you. uh, After reading Shane Van Gisbergen's latest uh, post, it seems all is not as it seems in supercars land. Um, Mark Scaife wears too many hats, and if he or they can't handle the driver's concerns, then get out and commentate only. Uh, a couple of other ones about that. Um, those participants in supercar should be available to give their relative insights, but some of the questions posed and repeated over and over, then they have to be politically correct. Sometimes there's a brain fade. Give them a break. Um, we had a, a chat about this yesterday, and I gave you my opinions about this yesterday Um, And I stand by those opinions from yesterday. A Facebook post from Shane Van Gisbergen doesn't change my thoughts around how you treat people respectfully. Um, And I posed to you the fact that yesterday I said that, look, there's stuff going on behind here and obviously they thought that they were being um, slapped on the wrist for criticising the cars going into it. So they adopted the approach of, don't say anything do my talking out on the field I was asked on Twitter this morning would I apologize for my incomplete and inaccurate uh, comments around Shane Van Gisbergen no they're not incomplete and they're not inaccurate Um, I thought that the way that he treated the press conference in particular was highly disrespectful full stop and that's got nothing to do with the reasons that he's put out this morning on that Um, and if there's a little bit more going on which I referenced yesterday so you have a an absolute out and out responsibility to be respectful to those especially who are asking the questions and those who are within the industry itself and I don't believe that the questions being posed and repeated over and over um, were a reason behind this it was a pretty simple question that he was asked about racing not about the cars about racing yesterday in that press conference and he shut it down with in my belief, disrespect. Um, I've seen his comments this morning and good on him for coming out and explaining those. And yes, heat of the moment and all that kind of stuff. And let me tell you, I I don't think that there's... (laughs) I actually don't think that there's a crew out there in world sport who can get as angry and as fired up as motorsport drivers in particular when they're not having a good day. The funny thing is that Shane had a great day. In fact, he had a great weekend. He led him the whole way. He had the first one taken off him because of a technical irregularity. And the second one he won. And he made it clear that the cars, as hard as they are to drive, and they're not 100% happy with them, these new cars actually fall straight into his box of perfection. The harder they are, the more edgy they are, the better Shane Van Gisbergen is. So it's an interesting one, this one. But would I stand back and say, oh, no, because Shane Van Gisbergen said on Twitter that it's a kick in the teeth that a five-time champion said that about me? No. It's got nothing to do with that. I was referencing the fact that there's a respectful way of dealing with things, and there's a disrespectful way. And in my view, the way that Shane Van Gisbergen did it the other day was disrespectful. It's 21 and a half minutes after 11, back after this. Uh, a couple of texts before we get to Vanessa with the next newsbreaker, Botany, Danny, Maddie. I realise we have different views on this. I believe Steve Smith should be Australian cricket captain. I also believe Pat Cummins should be in the team, and it can be done. If India can have one of their greatest... Um, in Coley stand down and be in the team, then we can do it for the sake of our test team. Uh, Thank you, Botany Danny. Uh, Rhino Mike, Matt, hate to break it to you, it's Australia's cricket team, not Pat Cummins's. No player is bigger than the team. Smith knows how to use the bowlers he has at his disposal and sets fields accordingly. It's about time the media stopped with their loving relationship with Cummins'. Um, Ooh, (laughs) I see where you're coming from there, Rhino Mike, but... um, When I say it's Pat Cummins's cricket team, as the skipper of the team, it's his team. That's how cricket operates. It's the skipper's team. And Pat Cummins is the Australian captain. It has nothing to do with the perceived love-in. It's just the fact. Steve Smith knows it. Everyone knows it. That's what the team is. So when Pat Cummins returns to that team, he will continue to lead. And we're lucky that we've got Steve Smith there, who's I totally agree. Brilliant leader. But, hey, it's not his team um, in terms of captaincy. Uh, having North Sydney back in the comp would be better than having the bye. <laughs> you still get the two points, but you significantly improve your for and against, says Andrew. Uh, I think they had a 22% winning rate in their history. Well, that didn't take long. They're not even back in the comp. <laughs> and bang, out comes the, the big baseball bat. Uh, 0457 736, 736 The World Test Championship final. This one from Stacco. Changing conditions to force a result completely undermines the whole Test Championship idea. You don't play two years of traditional cricket to reach the final um, two and then play a single game under a different set of conditions. By doing that, you haven't proven anything about who is the best Test cricket team. Certainly five days is needed to account for the likely chance of a rain interruption in England in any case. Solid point, Daco. Uh, absolutely solid point. And, and, you know, when you put it in that perspective, you're spot on. And obviously they're not going to change any conditions there. But I'm interested to see what type of, what type of pitch we end up with. I mean, you couldn't get two any further poles apart than the pitches that, that we would put up versus the pitches that we got on the Indian tour. And that's all part of the challenge of Test Cricket. Uh, I was at the Oval in 2005 in the famous series that the English won. And I I don't know if he's still there, and and excuse me if he's not, but um, (laughs) the curator there was the crankiest bloke I reckon I've ever seen. We had some stuff down on the sideline, um, some some TV gear at the time, and he was mowing the outfield, and he was going to go straight over the top of it if we didn't move it he had no bones about it he didn't like people being on his oval let alone anywhere near the pitch that's one of my memories of the oval back in 2005 if he's still in charge whatever you yep yep whatever you put up is fine we'll just step around it no problems because he was a an angry ant let's go to the news uh to uh, tommy's been quiet this morning we need to get his thoughts after this Looking forward to that. Thank you, Vanessa. Yes, six o'clock uh, Eastern Daylight Saving Time is the start of the coverage. Jimmy Smith heading it up. It'll be a massive night at Kudos Bank Arena. Grab those tickets at Ticketek and let's uh, pack out the place yet again. Game five, the decider. It has all come down to that between the Sydney Kings and the New Zealand Breakers. 0457 736 736 is the text line, and 01 1170 is the open line. Uh, Dan says, "Here, here, Matty, well said. Uh, the boys all sat back and listened 100% bang on, mate. I, I'm assuming this is about the uh, Shane Van Gisbergen situation. Love the show, love the banter. It's okay to have a different opinion to someone. Just be respectful and agree to disagree instead of being an A grade, says Dan, with no respect for the other party. I think this show is one of the most unbiased shows in Australia. Well, thank you for that, Dan. Uh, and look, it's not about being right or wrong. It comes from Um, a position for myself in particular of somebody who's been around for a long, long time and has a lot of experience. In fact, I was accused of shooting from the hip on this one. Well, if calling over 300 supercars races in my last 20 years of being uh, involved in this sport in particular, in supercars, is shooting from the hip, being around when Shane Van Gisbergen came into this category, uh, being there for his race wins and... Um, having first-hand knowledge of everything that goes on there, then I don't know which kind of hip we need to shoot from. Um, But I think that there was a way to deal with it, and that wasn't the way to deal with it. It's that simple with me. That's not playing the man. That's playing the issue here. And like I said yesterday, if you've got a disagreement with your organisation or whoever, then go settle it it with them or take it out on them. Don't take it out on the fans. I appreciate that, Dan. Thank you for that. Oh four five seven seven three six seven three six. Keep them coming. Uh, let's get some coins on the table. I don't think we had any coins on the table yesterday, Tommy. You just bought straight in with the Tribune. So, morning,
10: Maddie.
1: Good morning to you. Uh, where do you want to start?
10: Well, you, I'm just glad that Dan pointed out that this is an unbiased show because you keep it unbiased. But when I come in, I'm all biased. <laughs> I'm all biased about Maroosas. All biased about chooks. <laughs> the ticket pricing—it's yes. got a lot of people upset this morning, hasn't it?
1: It has. It has. What and, is and a tier
10: one? What isn't a tier one?
1: Well, that's the question. That's the question. I mean, you got the answer from the NRL um, that the clubs are those that set the prices, so yes. that answers that question. One of my questions was, okay, what's the NRL's take on this? Well, they don't have one because they don't have any control over it. So,
10: yeah, yeah. and we spoke um, before the show trying to wrap our heads around it, and I think the the main gist of it is, okay, yes, they're upset about the whole uh, how the prices have increased, and I can I understand South fans' frustrations. Um, I can understand Rooster's fans' frustrations as well. We want to go to the game and got to see an increase in ticket prices. But I think where uh, Rooster's CEO Joe Kelly has kind of made a little bit of an error is just the way he's framed uh, this and kind of sold it to the public saying it's a Tier 1 match. You know, if I'm a Rabbitohs, um, if I'm Blake Soly, or someone, I go, yeah, of course we're a Tier 1 match. It's the oldest um, and the biggest rivalry in all rugby league and NRL. But then say you're a um, say you're a Gold Coast Titan fan or a, or a New Zealand Warriors fan who we just play who the Roosters just played in round two or or someone else like uh, are they a tier four are they a tier three I mean you got the grand final quali- grand final rematch is in next Thursday between the Eels and the Panthers at Combank Stadium I think that's a tier one I mean you made the point that this Thursday night at Four Pines Park it's going to be Manly and Seagulls. I mean Manly and Eels who have a huge rivalry dating back to the eighties. I'm sure Eels and Manly fans would say that's a Tier One game too. So again, are we getting kind of caught up in the whole semantics of everything? Maybe, possibly, probably. Um, it just hasn't gone down well the way they've sold it to the public. I would say.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, there's you know, there's a pretty strong case to say that regular season matches should be all of the same pricing, but. Venues aren't the same, crowds aren't the same, I, demands not the same. I I get all that, and it, it appears as though, and and I did this. I actually heard this discussion this morning, and Vossi was spot on that, and Mark could agree wholeheartedly here how much it can cost to go to an EPL game, Premier League game. Stupid. Um, the difference when I was over there, I wanted to go see Crystal Palace, and there was a uh, they were playing in a Premier League game, which I couldn't actually get tickets. For but two days later there was an FA Cup game and it was less than half the price. So I ended up buying the tickets. I didn't end up going because of a train strike, but it didn't cost me an absolute fortune to miss out on it. So we're lucky in terms of the ticketing prices that we've got here for our, dare I say, top-tier sports. But the inaccuracies in in between games and now that they've got categories attached to them, which was the first time I'd heard that, is is a little bit but, weird,
10: but this I mean this happens in any single business. If you've got something that's in more demand, of course the owners of that business or who set the rule, who set the prices of that of that product are going to up the price. Why wouldn't they? I mean, if, you know the roosters v Rabidos, especially at a newish stadium like Allianz Stadium. This is only the fourth game that's going to be played there, and guess what? Three out of four of those games, uh, by the end of Friday night, are going to be played between the roosters and the Rabidos. You get at least thirty-five to thirty-six thousand people there, guaranteed. So why wouldn't they up the price? You can, from a business point of view, you fully understand what Joe Kelly and the Roosters are doing in this sense. Is it a bit unfair? Yes. Is it not great with the recent, you know, rise in prices for everything, inflation? Yes. But you could also make that argument about ticket prices, inflation. I mean, it's, it's unfair, yes, but I, un- I understand it. Um, and I guess that's just what happens.
1: I think the one thing, yes, business decisions. Yes, yes, yes. Get all that. But when you start, alienating the fans, you've got a massive problem. Yes, I agree. And and the, I guess the biggest kickback out of all this is make sure that you listen to the fans on this one. And if the fans overwhelmingly say, hang on a second, we, we don't agree. We don't agree that... We agree that we'll pay 50 bucks for instance, but all of a sudden $90, just because you can, that doesn't sit with the fans at all. And the fans will turn away from that. Yeah. So you've got to be really, really careful for your business case versus listening to the fans and what they're willing to do.
10: Yeah. I think a gradual increase if they were, I mean, if they are going to do that, you know, is that, if that's what they want to do over the, the next few years or however, however long they want to do it. I think a gradual increase would have been a lot easier. Now, Maddie, we didn't get to do it last week. Um, yes. I, I like doing this last year on Tuesdays after the round had been finished. Um, some overreaction. So I'll throw a statement at you and you've okay. got to say whether it's an overreaction or not from Here what we we've go. seen in the past kind of two weeks of footy. Okay. Brisbane Broncos will make the top four. Is it an overreaction? Yes or no? Yes. Ooh. Okay. Now, remember before the start of the season, I said historically, um, and based on statistics, there has usually been one team that finished outside of the top eight who would then make the top four the following season. We saw it with two teams last year with the Canola Sharks, and the and the North Queensland Cowboys, I tipped the Broncos to become to come sixth, and I even said they are a team that could make top four. But you think that's still an overreaction?
1: Yes, yeah, I do. Yeah, I, I'm. Matty Matty John said a, a really important word when you think about the Bronx in this discussion the other the other week, and and little words jump out. They can have big effects. The word trust. He said, "I just don't trust them yet," mm-hmm. and that's a it's an interesting word to apply to a footy team. But I went. hmm. Actually, you know what? That, that makes sense. And when can you trust them? When can you start to trust them? Once they've been through the mill this season. Everyone can be happy when you're flying, but once they've bitten the dust a couple of times and they've got injuries and all that kind of stuff, then, then I'm happy to be proven wrong on that one.
10: I think during Origin as well. So I think two of their most important players are Payne Haas and Pat Carrigan. I think they're almost certain he's to play Origin. Tom Flegler, he could be again in the mix, um, for Queensland, So it's three forwards, three really good forwards out of your, out of your pack who could miss game time um, due to origin. So that's going to be a big test for them. I think they can still make it. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how they can cope with it, though. Okay, my next one. The Tigers will go back-to-back back and win the wooden spoon. So they won it last year, obviously. They've made a host of new signings. Api Coruscant, John Bateman, David Klemmer, Isaiah Papali'i, Tim Sheens is the new coach alongside... Benji Marshall and Robbie Farrar. But two losses again to start the season. That's three years in a row they've gone 0-2. Is it a, an overreaction to say, off the back of their first two performances, they will win the wooden spoon again?
1: I don't think it's an overreaction. Um, I, I think I tip the Dolphins to win win the wooden spoon, so you probably asking the wrong bloke. But um, I don't think it's an overreaction. I mean, if, if you can't deliver... Like, if they can't deliver anything against that depleted Newcastle team the other day at Leichhardt, knowing that they're going to walk away from their first two matches without a point at Leichhardt Oval. It's going to take a monumental effort to turn all of that around. So I don't think it's an overreaction, no.
10: Seriously, how could you not beat the Knights who lost Caelan Ponga, Jaden Braley, and you had a one-man overlap? You were playing 12 men for a a good part of 20-plus minutes. 25 minutes, you had an extra man on the field. It may,
1: click, it may click, but oh, it's going to have to click pretty fast and pretty big.
10: That was a tier 15 match, and no fans of either side should have been charged for going to Leichhardt Oval on Sunday afternoon. <laughs> uh, last one, Matty, before I go. The Melbourne Storm are done. They will not make the top eight. Nelson Asofa solomona Cam Munster, Xavier Coates, Tarek Sims, George Jennings, Dean Meyer, Ryan Pappenhausen, a host yeah. of names injured. Nelson Asofa solomona was fantastic in just 30 minutes of game time. He's now out for the next six to eight weeks. Melbourne Storm are done. They won't make the finals. Overreaction, yes or no?
1: You know how we spoke about our free pass? Yes. If we had a free pass. If you give me my free pass that I can put the Bulldogs in the top eight and take the Storm out, because remember, I Mm flip-flopped. I kept going up and down and up and down, and then the last minute I put the Storm in because they're the Storm. However, all the concerns that I've been having are the kind of concerns that are happening now. Like we remember we sat we sat here and said, What if Yes What if Cam Munster gets injured? Bang, bone pops out of his finger. Like, uh oh, here we go. Um I, I don't think they make the eight.
10: I, Ooh, I, think, I okay. think my eight's gonna mark, be Mark mark that down, mate. I th- March fourteenth. My eight's
1: gonna be wrong. I think my <laughs> I think my um my wooden spoon's gonna be wrong. But I don't think I, I'm worried about I continue to be worried about the Melbourne storm. There you go. Fair enough. Um All right, overs and unders. If you agree with that, let us know. Uh, We'll be back after this break. We've got breaking news, Jimmy Smith, because I'm getting text messages coming through that are agreeing with Tommy. Um, I I, I can't read. (laughs) I can't actually – want. I don't want to read what they're agreeing with, but I see this, Tommy, I hate to agree, but, um, Tommy, I agree. I have to agree with everything Tommy said, and then I finished – I don't know what it happened, what what they wrote after that, but this is right. Wow, gee, this is. I mean, you might have to dedicate the first hour of your show here to answering two AM Tommy's texts.
6: Uh, let me assure you that won't be happening. That won't be happening. No, 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 no. <laughs> okay. I can give a cast iron guarantee on that one.
1: <laughs> What's well, coming up on your show, mate?
6: No, I want to talk about uh, this Shane Ben Gisbergen thing. You and I were just talking about it. I, I find it fascinating, mate. And I'm going to put it to you this way, mate you don't have to be a good bloke, Mm. right? All Van Giesbergen has to do is keep winning because as soon as he doesn't win, that's when he's in trouble, right? But is there any other sport like motor racing where you have to rely on so many people and there's so many parts that are beyond your control as a race car driver, but you have to be positive about everything? Like, I don't mind him having a whinge, blowing up, being hard to deal with, basically not towing the party line. And if you keep winning, there is no problem. Think about when Jimmy Connors first started playing tennis. Everyone hated him because of the way that he carried on. Now, eventually became this beloved figure, right? But everyone hated him at the start. And everyone hated John McEnroe. But that didn't mean they didn't watch them.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I don't think... Look, it, it's, it's a little bit deeper because there's... The one thing I do know about motorsport, Jimmy, is that whatever we think's going on in pit lane, multiply it by a thousand at least, right? That's, that's really what's going on behind the scenes. There are a multitude of things happening here. And in my time in the sport, and I've been part of that sport in particular for over two decades now. Yeah. It's like any other sport. It can be sensitive to those that question it. Um, It can be narky to those that question it as well. It can be confused when it wants to find out um, how to get itself some headlines and some publicity, but it's never, in my opinion, said that you always has, have to be positive. I don't think Shane Van Gisbergen has always is, has been um, told to always be positive. However, I think that you should always be respectful. You can have the craps. You can have a bad day. You can have your opinions. You can have your thoughts. You can fight. You can argue. You can bitch and scream. It was put to me in the world of motorsport that nobody does it better than them than tripping you over on your way out, stealing your wallet and stepping on you as you go past. That's the kind of sport it is. got no dramas with that. However, when you carry on with the the pettiness reaction and the stock standard reaction of uh, talking on the track and all that kind of stuff and then shutting things down with a smirk on your face, that's disrespectful to me. Now, if there's one thing that they would say to everybody coming into that sport, it will be... We, we play hard and we play fair, but we're, we're, we're respectful to all of those who are engaged. That's from fans to media to everybody. I got a text here saying that he needs a course in PR. He was given one. He's been mm. given one. I know the bloke who sat down and ran him through it. And what we got after all of that many, many years ago was somebody who could say the same things, but now with a smile on his face. So giving him <laughs> PR, giving him PR um, courses is not going to help. I think you know your place whether you're being disrespectful or not. But it's an interesting... You, you're right about this sport. It's so regulatorily driven. It's such a technical sport. It's so hard to get all the pieces together. It's, it's a doozy. But under no circumstance are they ever told to always be positive. That, that's just not okay. the truth in, in motorsport.
6: But to explain the point, right... You and I have now spent the last three minutes talking about talking Shane Van Gisbergen <laughs> and, and, and supercars, right? And in given the fact we're going into round three of the National Rugby League, like that would never have happened if yep. Shane Van Gisbergen didn't behave the way he did. Right. Well, and and you think about it, you know, if you want to go to an extreme, when Ian Chappell was there going, Hang on, how much is the A C B making out of us and how much mm-hmm. are we making? You know, that's an then then you get someone in the like Kerry Packer who says, "Well, this is what I'm going to do for you." That's the extreme of it when when you don't listen to the powers that be, or the powers that be don't listen to you. So, mm. yeah, I, I I find it really interesting. Yeah, really it's interesting.
1: fascinating. I, I think you're right. If Shane van Gisbergen had of, well, put it this way, I don't think we would have been talking about it had it not got the reaction that it got from Mark Skae, from Garth Tander in particular, from all those out there in social land. I think it would have just gone by the by that he's, he didn't say what he wanted to say. Um, Now, we've absorbed all my time to promote your show in that, so I'm just going to say this. Have a good show, mate. Jimmy Smith is coming up. Uh, just a final text uh, before we wrap it up today. This one from Kev. Have to agree with everything Tommy said about the Tigers. They had multiple sets of six on the Knights' line and all they could muster was five hit-ups and a terrible kick. They need a halfback who can organise... Uh, that guy in the Knights, number seven jersey, looked like a good option, says Kev. I'm not mad, he says, just disappointed. Uh, sorry to all of those texts that I didn't get through throughout the day. Believe me, he had plenty of opinions today. The good news is Jimmy Smith will be picking up that ball and running with it on 0457 736 736. And a reminder too, uh, Jimmy will be there for our coverage tomorrow night of the Kings v. Breakers in game five of the NBL Championship Series tickets are available at Ticketek. So tomorrow night, Kudos Bank Arena, get into it. Joining me on the show tomorrow, Wednesdays with Webby. So Andrew Webster will join me and Book of Feuds author Mark Courtney as well. Thanks for all of your inputs today. Have a great day, everybody. We'll do it all again tomorrow. Bye for now.